world under siege. The socialists have amassed a major offensive against the Bastiat sector. A blockade of deadly battleships armed with cultural Marxism have cut off any support for Luke Henderson and his troops. Though they have fought violently, hope is fading for Luke Henderson and his men as the status close in. Meanwhile, Johnny and Raylene are dispatched to the planet of Meemdom in search of reinforcements and to find the free man beyond the wall. Fortunately, famous bounty hunter and musician Jason J.J. Boogie Riken comes to save the day to help Luke Henderson with his small group of mercenaries. J.J. Boogie is a world touring guitarist for Grammy Award winning hip-hop group Arrested Development. Will Jason hold back the communist horde and arrest the enemy's development before Johnny and Raylene's reinforcements arrive? Stay tuned to hear J.J. Boogie on episode 36 of Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my real truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Hello. Hey, Johnny. How's it going? I am doing good. Yeah. Better than I was last week, but still a little better today. You know, it's been crazy weather here. I know that you're in Arizona now. You don't know the depth. We have over two feet of snow in our temperate Jeez. Pacific Northwest. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, it's unbelievable. I guess it's that global warming thing we keep hearing about. Must be. Well, here's the cool thing is I was listening to my fellow podcast, Lines of Liberty, and I, yeah. I was sitting there driving down the road trying to loosen my load, right? It was like an eagle song, <laughs> and I heard yeah. this guy, and he was fantastic. He was on the Lines of Liberty with Mark Claire, and he's a, a musician. I heard the show. Yeah, he had a really, really great show, and I was like, man, I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to steal a guest, and I, I feel like doing it. But not really, because Mark has done that with my fiance Kim Ruff, and I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyways. So are you ready for our guest, Miss Ray Ray? You know I am. All right. Jason J.J. Boogie Reichart is a world-touring guitarist for Grammy Award-winning hip-hop group Arrested Development, co-writing, producing, mixing for the band, including two top ten hits in Asia. He has performed and toured with such legendary blues acts as Taj Mahal, Charles Muscle White, Sean Costello, Tinsley Ellis, and Holmes Brothers on guitar and drums. His studio prowess is on display in the song Don't Front from Eminem's double platinum album MMLP2 Deluxe 2015 Grammy Award winner for Best Rap Album. All right, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Pre-amps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Jason J.J. Boogie Riker. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It's awesome to be here. Awesome, man. And you know what? You dude, I just loved your interview, man. I was just it was a great story. It was. And for those of you who listen to Lines of Liberty, which we have a lot of crossover between those guys, let's just go back 
and let's talk about some of the stuff that you had discussed with uh, Mark. And I, I thought it was interesting. But like, let's talk about your music first. And I thought it was a great story that you told him. And you know, what brought you into the music industry? What was your passions? And you know, how did you get to where you're working with some of the greatest names in the music business as of today? Wow! Gosh. Well, you know, my my father was a musician, so I grew up having a, just an incredible record collection and seeing all his his photos of him, these black and white photos of him playing in you know bands in the '60s and stuff, and he played in soul bands, and so I just you know grew up listening to music. And then um, my uncle had this uh, Italian restaurant down in Tampa, Florida, and they had this big like company cookout in the late '70s, and we went we drove down from Atlanta and he hired this band called Beat Street and they had like all these like activities for kids you know horseback riding and this that and i sat under the tent in front in the front row just totally mesmerized by the music coming off the stage feeling the bass and the drums the air you know just hitting my chest and i didn't go anywhere like my mom had to bring me food you know i was you know, I was just from that day on, I was hooked. The drummer gave me his drumsticks after the show and, you know, and that was kind of like the, the start of like my, my first live music experience, you know, so it kind of kicked off from there. But, you know, when I, at 15, I got, you know, uh, my first gig uh, playing in a, a blues band doing like classic rock as well with uh, my, oh, uncle's, hell yeah. my uncle's band. So I, you know, I remember my dad driving me to rehearsal and uh, the band leader's like, all right, we're going to do this song by ZZ Top, you know, called uh, Tush. It's a shuffle. Oh, and I'm Tush. like... That's a great song, yeah, dude. That's like, yeah, a, that's like a beer drinking biker song. Oh, totally. And but and at the time, I'm like, well, what's a shuffle? I don't know what it is. Like, I didn't know the technical word, right. you know? Yeah. So he, so the bass player, like, mouthed it to me, like... I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard uh-huh. that. So I just started playing it on drums, and next thing you know, we're playing the song, and and that's you know how I kind of got into. It. And then and then I was literally I was playing biker parties at 16, and playing these like you know juke joints around Atlanta. And, oh hell yeah! And yeah, the biker parties were crazy for sure. But uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny about bikers though man the thing is is they'll sit there like I've played for these big biker rallies and you're on stage and you're just rocking and rolling and then you got everybody yep. with their arms crossed and then you're like the song's over with and they'll just sit there and look at you and then yeah. you do the next song and you do the next song and I'm like, dude, we're bombed. We're bombed. These guys hate us. And uh, next thing you know, there's a line around the building yeah. for our merch. Right. And I'm sitting there and, and, and my dad told me, he's like, hey man, they don't clap for people. Right. If they stayed and listened to you, you were good. And I'm like, I didn't know this. I felt like we were bombing. They're going to kill us. We're going right, to die. Right. And it's just a funny story. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I found that the, that if there wasn't that one biker chick that get up, that got up and started dancing first and got her man like to, to get up and dance and get the party going, then it would be a little bit more subdued crowd. But if you get that one, that one biker chick that's like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to party and start dancing. And she has to get permission get, from her man get too before oh, she does yeah. that. <laughs> she does. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. That's great. You know, it's really fun because Johnny 
absolutely had to have you on the show because music is his passion. Yeah. Not only has he been a band forever, but he comes from a musical family. And I don't know if you know this, but Johnny's mom just passed away and she was a huge singer. I don't know if you wow. were aware of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I heard about that when, when, yeah. when me and Johnny first uh, started talking. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's rough. But, but man, yeah, that's awesome that you had that influence. Oh, yeah. You know, it's amazing how, how much our, our parents influence, influence us. I mean, it's everything. Well, I, I seen that you are doing music with your children. And, uh, P.S. Do you play harmonica also? Because a man with a big beard and a harmonica <laughs> is super hot. Well, it's funny that you met, I, I can't go out and jam anymore like I used to on harmonica, but I, like in the studio, I could get away with certain things. And that's actually in the intro when you introduced me that the studio wow. work that I did with Eminem was harmonica. It was, yeah. And nice. I was, you know, when I got a call from the Ken Lewis, the producer, uh, he was like, listen, you're not going to get credit on the album. Uh, I want you, to, but I want you to record this harmonica part and I'm going to mangle it in post production to where it's not going to sound like a harmonica, but I have this idea in my head how I want this thing to sound. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, okay, cool. So he sent me this, this loop with this certain thing on it and, and I had to play along to it and then I, I recorded it and he was like, yeah, it's perfect. Sent it back. And then like, like, like he said, he mangled it and he, when I heard the final product, I'm like, you can't hear harmonica, but I am literally playing harmonica on the song. And, that is uh, bad. Like put it through like a, a garbage disposal and make it sound like com- something completely different. <laughs> they did, but you know, they. I got That's cool though. I got I got harmonicas. Just you know, they're just laying around the house. You know. <laughs> Okay, so you have now officially been the first person to p- actually play real instruments on the show live. Oh, yes! You did it! Another thread. By the way, you don't have an, you do not have a wiki, and I, I rest of development does, but you really need to get your own Wikipedia, please. Yeah, and, and then I guess you can put so. that credit on there. Yeah. There we go. Might as well, right? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. You know, so you, you've had a musical experience. You started off as the drummer. Your first passion was drumming, but then you went to the guitar. So like, that was like a weird, that's a comp- two totally different things. Yeah. That's, that is weird. That, that's not typical. No, uh, it's but, not at all. Yeah. My whole, my whole identity was I was a drummer. That was my goal and dreams. That was my aspirations as a musician. That's what I was doing for, you know, 20 years. And, but I did get my first guitar when I was 16 because my parents would not let me play drums, you know, in the garage past 7.30 at night because the neighbors could hear it and of course, you know, it was shaking the walls in the house, but they were so supportive of music. My dad just would light up people used to tell me like when he came to the shows like man your dad is so proud like i could just see just the, the way he watches you on the stage right you know so i just i was awesome you know and i miss that my father passed away in 2000 and mm-hmm. you know he got to see me perform with speech of arrested development one time at a local gig and it wasn't an arrested development gig but it was a speech solo gig so we did do some arrested development songs and i was playing drums actually at the i played drums for that gig so um but he yeah he he 
you know, unfortunately, is not able to see me play guitar at the level I'm doing now, which I, you know, I wish he could, you know, because he he took me to see Santana when I was 14, you know. Wow. So, oh wow. Uh, I was at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, and that just blew. Just like when I was when I was a young kid in the 70s, when I went to you know my uncle's uh, you know company party where he hired the band. Same experience, man. Just sitting there, goosebumps. Right. Uh, oh yeah. You know, just oh, uh, you know, Santana's probably you know the reason why I wanted to pick up guitar and then the Allman Brothers are the, is the reason why I wanted a Gibson Les Paul or an SG. <laughs> well, like I noticed that you and I have the same musical foundations. I mean, uh, when we were talking, we were discussing like, you know, this is what I was kind of into and you were talking yeah. about like when you, you even mentioned Steely Dan, I'm like, dude, like when I've been listening to Dan since I was about 15 years old and like a lot of people don't yeah. even, I go, Steely Dan, they go, what the hell? And I go, oh man, they're great. I mean, like they actually, yeah. bro- they combine the genres of jazz and rock and, you know, and, and they did a lot of shuffles with the Purdy shuffle. Oh yes. And, and man, Asia was a great record, but I mean, I have every, you know, one of their albums and their discography and, uh, yeah, dude, I mean, like you're not a real musician unless you can appreciate Steely Goddamn. Dan, you know, (laughs) it's true. I agree. I agree. You know, you were listening to him since you were 15. I mean, this is like when my dad had these records when I was, some of the records I was born, he already had them, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I was born in 73. So, but everything that came out in the 70s, Asia and. Oh. You know, Gaucho in oh, gaucho. 1980. Dude. You know, so gaucho. all that stuff. One of the, yeah. I love that. I love the song Glamour Profession. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's such a great song. And uh, Time Out of Mind, which is... Oh, Time Out of Mind. Uh, wicked. Wicked song. And I had, you know, years later when I got into uh, studio production, I, you know, I'm a mix engineer. I took a master mixing course from Roger Nichols, who was uh, uh, no. one of the engineers. Yeah, I, yeah, know. I, got, I know who he is. Yeah. Okay, wow. I, I spent two uh, two days in a row with him, eight hours each day in the studio with him in Atlanta and watching his mixing course. So I got to, he got to pull up the sessions and I got to see how he recorded it. And and then we had lunch together both days. So I just got to, you know, I was just in awe. Oh, yeah. Because I grew up with that stuff like so many people, but, you know. Usually um, this. Yeah. Usually the show where we talk about libertarianism, but I, I, I got to keep talking to you about this real quick. But what I find is interesting about Dan's music was that the way I described it was like sterile. Like what I mean is it's so clean, so perfect that it's untouched by any dirt, dust or anything, any imperfections. Right. I mean, it just yeah. sounds clean and sterile. And I, I just Very clean. I, I'm wondering how they got that sound. I haven't heard it being reproduced or in any way, shape or form in sound. So I don't know. You must know something I don't because uh, maybe give us a trick here on uh, us well, music folks. You know, yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of that. Ha- well, first of all, it has to do with the musicians at the source. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, the, the session guys that they use, but also the engineer's ears. You know, he had to listen. He had to, the mic placement, um, you know, the microphone choice, everything plays a role in the sound and 
Um, so I think it, you know, it has to do first with the musician, their musicianship, and uh, and then also the engineer's ears and how he's able to capture the sounds. And they spent a lot of time getting everything right. Oh yeah. You know? and, oh yeah. But it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned how clean everything is because uh, back when I first started mixing, uh, I would send uh, some of my work to some of my peers in the industry who I look up to, who worked on big records and stuff, and I'm like, hey, can you critique my mix? And one of the things that they would say was like, uh, well, one of them, I, one of the critiques I got was, man, it's too clean, dirty it up. Like uh-huh. make it a little, make it a little bit more messy. And I'm like too clean. I'm like, and in my head, I'm thinking Steely Dan is like, so, <laughs> what you the know, hell, dude? so like, clean, yeah. yeah so, yeah. but, but you know, and oh, that's great. You guys are cute. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great that I was able to achieve because I, I that influence on me came out in my music, how I clean, you know, up music. And I'm like, and that could be a good thing for the right genre or whatever. But I think you know, hey, it's okay to dirty things up and leave things a little messy. And it, you know, it gives it some character. You know, not everything has to be crystal clean, you know, and stuff like that. So I just thought it was funny that you mentioned that about how clean it was and you know, sterile or whatever. But yeah, very unique. And that was that was just the word I just to explain their style. I was always like, it's sterile, it's untouched <laughs> by awesome. any dirt, grime, or fuzz. Okay, right. so really, I'm sorry. Now this is a no, little. No, I I I can't even step on it. I think this is a great conversation. I love that you guys have a meeting of the minds and and your passions are overlapping so beautifully and you're both libertarians which is so cool I was wondering about since we're talking about musical families and the influences and I know you mentioned that you homeschool how much is music a part of raising your children and what influences from your father and and how you grew up are you um, sharing with your kids and in what way well you know we had our living room where the you know the TV was when I growing up had the stereo in the room as well so you know when the TV was off usually the stereo was on and uh, you know if I was sitting on the couch listening to something or, or laying on the floor like with my head between the speakers my dad would come you know with his goofy dance you know on his way from the hallway through the living room to the yeah. kitchen he would he would do his little goofy dance like yeah, I'm digging this one, you know. Right, right. And uh, so, or we would just break out and just start dancing as a family. We have a little dance party, you know. And oh, I yeah. did. And, we, yeah. and the same, I want. I'm like, man, I want. I want my. I want a stereo in the living room. I don't have a turntable in my living room, but my turntables died, so I need to get those replaced. But I have my studio, with my quality speakers in here, and I could. I got a sub, so my, you know, my studio is much nicer than the one I grew up with. Right. And uh, you know, I taught. You know, my son how to use iTunes so he's able to pull up stuff on his own but we'll you know if he's not playing something I'll play something so there's always music playing and mm. you know I got videos going going back of just family dance parties where we're just all oh, just great. getting down after you know and it's just this bonding fun thing you know yes. and, and now you know now my it's just I love it when I see my son come over and like ask for permission to to turn on music so he could listen to what he wants to listen to, you know, and he'll play it and he'll sit right here in my studio chair and he studies the music. Mm-hmm. He's not just he studies it. I mean, the, the the stuff that he's into, like, well, he was in, he went through this phase where he was obsessed with uh, uh, early seventies and mid seventies Herbie Hancock. 
Oh, chameleon, yeah, so head, chameleon. Yeah, chameleon, headhunter. That's where it started. That started, man. And then yeah. man, man, child, and then and then the eighties stuff too with a rocket. He loved that too. Yep. Oh yeah. And then um, yeah, and then one day he saw a picture of Dead Mouse on the side of uh, Guitar Center, and he was like, "What is that?" Because he loves like robotic stuff, you know. Oh. Mm-hmm. So we started listening EDM. to yeah. So we started li- and listened to that, and he's been Beautiful. obsessed. He's been obsessed with with Dead Mouse and stuff, but he loves rock and roll too. Like. I'll be playing, you know, Blackberry Smoke and, you know, just Southern Raw, Almond Brothers. And, you know, oh, yeah, I love the Almond Brothers. We listen yeah. to everything. Yeah. So uh, he's all over the map. But, uh, but as far as schooling goes, like one of the things we do with the kids, uh, they have to earn points in order to buy a toy or play on the, uh, my iPad. Like if they want to play a video game, then we don't allow them just to play at any time. They have to earn points. Like, you know, so they have to do chores behave, exercise, read, do math, you know, all kinds of things. So one of the things my daughter has to do is solfege, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, you know, so I'll, I'll sit with her. And of course, I'm, I'm not a singer, so forgive my singing, but uh, I'll sit with her on the guitar and I'll play all the major scales. I'll go through the cycle of fifths on my guitar while she sings with me in time in mm. every key. She'll sing the major scale, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do in every key. And she'll, that's part of her. Wow. Uh, chores that she has to do. You're training Train her, her ear. ears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And her pitch is on. She's only five, and she's been doing it wow. for a year. And her pitch is right on the money. And uh, and so you know, so I love that. What's I, I her favorite that. music? Uh, she she likes what her brother likes, but uh, right now she she's uh, really loves Shaka Khan. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> I, I, it's weird that you brought that up, but my mom auditioned with Rufus right before Shaka Khan got hired. Whoa, that's yep. crazy. Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's so weird, man, because we have so much in common. It's it's kind of crazy. That's spooky. I know, yeah. <laughs> and I remember yes. her in the 80s. Yeah, Shaka Khan, uh, I forgot the name of the song, though. Uh, she did. Uh, feel For You. Yeah, Feel For You. Yeah, that was a great song. Yeah. Had that had that One Nation kind of sound. One Nation under a groove kind of melody or uh, course. Yeah. Remember Bop Gun that came out later that sampled? That was Parliament. Bop Gun. Yeah. But it was by uh, Ice Cube, I believe. Ice Cube with George Clinton. Yeah. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love conscious rap. Yeah, me too. We need more of it. <laughs> Which is what Arrested Development is. Uh, yeah, well, is that... Is your libertarian leanings um, something that just coincides easily with being in a conscious rap group? Is that something that just gels for you as a person with the group that you are in? Uh, yes and no. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, in the sense that it is, I think, more rebellious as far as like what has like, you know, like the gangster stuff has just taken over the booty club, booty shaking, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. stripper stuff that, you know, that like mindless, just, you know, music that's out now. Um, so I feel like we are, uh, you know, just the antithesis of that. But I, I it, you well, know, political issues, ethical it, dilemmas, it, yeah, societal, yeah, so, yeah and, and putting a positive, uplifting uh, speeches in the yeah. music is it's very yeah. different. Do you think it's, that the, it's very different. the industry has actually buried groups like Arrested Development? I mean, oh, without a doubt. I thought they were going to be the. Uh, to be honest with you, growing up, um, I didn't have a CD player. I didn't have a tape player. I didn't Normally, have a lot. Normally, Raylene is not you honest. Normally, she's not honest. You poor child. <laughs> yeah, I only had the radio and, and my dad's albums, which was a lot of, uh, we had Steely Dan also, but a lot of like ACDC and, and things like that. But um, Nice. 
Yeah, and and that's kind of what was my parents influenced me in Chicago because of my mom and things like that. But Arrested Development was the group that played music that I actually could connect to when we were listening to like Cube 93 over here, which is just like hip hop and and stuff like that. So that's actually one of my first rap groups that I felt I connected to that was kind of responsible. That's that, great. That spoke to me. Yeah. That, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, the, the what I love about Arrested Development, uh, you know, I'm obviously not an original member, but mm-hmm. I love how there's uh, the songwriting and the product, like the songwriting that Speech does, he'll sing and write about uh, very heavy topics, but a lot of times it has a celebratory feel, I guess, you know, or a, just a something that still makes you want to dance or, you know, like, you know, people every day, which is the Sly Stone, you know, sample in the chorus, but it has a serious the content, yeah. So the content of the lyrics is like it's serious stuff, but it's done in a fun way that still it's makes like you want to dance and me. brings you together. Yeah, and right. then the song, you know, I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with Tennessee. I love that song. You know, of course. And that, you know, when I learned later that you know the song came from when uh, Speech lost his grandmother and his one and only brother in the same week. They both wow. died wow. in the same week. So the last place he saw his brother was in Tennessee at his grandmother's funeral. So. You know, his grandmother was everything to him. He used to spend summers with her. And then they went to the funeral in Tennessee. And that was the last place he saw his brother because a couple of days later, his brother died of an asthma attack. And so his, he was crushed, you know, and he wrote the song. It's a prayer. Tennessee is a prayer. Take me to another place, you know, take me to another land, you know. Oh, yeah. That's uh, a great it's song. It's just like, yeah. yeah. So if you go back and when you hear it again, listen to the lyrics uh, more closely because it's, it's like a, it's like a prayer. He's just calling out, like just dealing with heavy pain. But oh. it's done in a way where everybody just grooves at our shows, like just dances their butts off, and you see smiles on people's faces. But when he tells the story from the stage, man, we you we you can't help but like tear up. We still get, you know, I still get teary eyed. Sometimes he'll lose it when he's talking about his brother or his grandmother. You know, he'll you know still to this day. You know, I love what you said about that being a prayer. My daughter's a an artist, and she paints. Yeah, and. Um, I, I gave her a little shed to live in on, uh, that's connected to our property and onto my house. And she painted the walls and she was crying and she invited me in and said, I want you to see my prayers. And they were wow. paintings. And so that really just reminded me of that I wanted to share. Go wow. ahead, Johnny. That's awesome. Okay, so really quick, let's get into some liberty while we have some time. <clears throat> okay. uh, how did you find libertarianism? And I know that you know, you've been reading Rothbard, Mises. What was your political alignment before that also? like? So I'm, I'm just kind of curious of what was your story? Because everyone's story is a little different. Mine is like the generic, I found Ron Paul, here I was, and the next thing you know, I'm an anarchist. Yeah. Well, what's, your, what, what's your deal? I mean, how did, how did, what was, what was your turning point? Mine's a little different. Uh, it's a little weird, but my, when my second band I was in, when I was like 18, uh, I was in this like, psychedelic blues power trio thing. Right. You know, and uh, one weekend, uh, the guitar player was like, hey, man, there's this uh, libertarian uh, meetup in downtown Atlanta. You know, I want to go. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't even know what that meant. I, you know, I was just a kid. I was just all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> right. I didn't have a political, politics didn't mean anything to me, you know. Sure. I lived, ate, and slept, and breathed music. So, we went, you know, I got turned on to I'm like, okay, it sounds like there's some important stuff I need to, you know, pay attention to. And it wasn't like super life changing, but 
the word stuck with me, libertarianism, you know, and, and then I later bought a, I later bought a book by uh, David Boaz, I think his name was. David Bose, yeah. Bose? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, I, I used um, to call him yeah. that too. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I read that, you know, and, um, and, you know, I got into that for a little bit, but I, it, it still wasn't real serious. And then like, you know, sometimes I'd flip through channels on the radio and I'd hear like Rush, you know, back in the late eighties and I'd listen to it for a minute, but, but still, I was still young and I'm like, ah, whatever. You know, I'm not into listening about Clinton, you know, back <laughs> right. in the day. Yeah. But it really wasn't until uh, 9-11 to when I was like, okay, I need to start paying attention to what's going on because it, you know, it was a freaky day, you know, when, when that happened. And, you know, the, that same morning, everybody left from work. I, I wasn't a full-time musician yet, but I, I was playing a lot. And that same day, uh, some drug dealer lit our apartment complex on fire. So wow. my roommate, woke, I laid down to take a nap. He woke me up. He's like, man, get, get your cat. You know, throw it and get out. we got to get out. Right. And um, the building's on fire. And so I'm like, so it was just like the worst day ever. But but it wasn't until then I started like really paying attention. And then I, you know, once I started uh, re- going back to reading more about the libertarianism, I'm like, okay, well, there's only two parties really that are big that make a difference. Let me try to go with one that might have the most inkling of libertarianism. Because I knew Republicans didn't, even though they, they talked about, you know, small government. And I'm like, well, I like that idea. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to try to go, try to influence politics within that route. And of course, after a couple of years, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This, oh, this, yeah. this is oh, a, yeah. a waste of time. And, you know, and then of course, you know, seeing Ron Paul in the debates, so I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, started listening to some podcasts, got turned on to Tom Woods and, mm. um, uh, you know, and then through there, Rothbard. And then, you know, I listened to, I became friends with Eric July and, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, I think Tom Woods was a was a huge influence on really like like ripping the door open more like okay, I I need yeah. to, I just really need to just stick with my guns on this cuz I I hate I hate doing anything without like if I'm not doing something with a clear conscience, I don't want to do it. I don't exactly. like doing it. So that's why the last election I when I when I didn't vote for the presidential candidate uh yeah, well, you I can't did, vote you, yeah, you know, you're you're voting your yeah. conscience. You're not voting for, you know, you don't want to vote against somebody. I mean, that's just the wrong way. You got to vote for somebody you believe in. And and then in that in that case, I just don't vote. I didn't right. vote yeah. for Gary. Yeah. I know that some people may have, but I mean, I'm a liber- yeah. I'm part of the Libertarian Party. I just didn't vote I for I voted for Gary just for to get the 5%, and I'm embarrassed Woo-hoo! of it. I'm not even going to lie. I'm ashamed. I'm sorry. Sorry, okay. guys. <laughs> you, you, you are forgiven. <laughs> anyway, so we got to take a quick commercial break. Make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro-liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on seven nights a week on 190 plus radio stations coast to coast and is pro-liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Ground control to base one. Ground control to base one. This is Tennessee by Arrested Development. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. Down and out, losing grass. Although I am black and brown, problems got me pessimistic. Brothers and sisters keep messing up. Why does it have to be so damn tough? I don't know where I can go to let these ghosts out of my skull. 
My grandma passed, my brother's gone I never at once felt so lost I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel Not just my spare tire But Lord, I ask you To be my guide and force the truth For some strange reason it had to be He guided me to Tennessee Take me to another Still thirsty. Lord, allow me to drink some more. He said, What I am searching for are the answers to all which are in front of me. The ultimate truth started to get blurry. For some strange reason, it had to be. It was all a dream about Tennessee. Take me to
this. Are you having fun? You know it. Okay, so we're talking to Mr. J.J. Boogie Reichardt here from Arrested Development. And, dude, thank you so much for being here. And what we do here on the second segment is called Rocket Fire. Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. J.J., are you ready to play Rocket Fire? All right, giant Rocket Fire. Here we go. Question one. Our markets consistent with justice is freedom enhanced through economic exchange. I think markets are consistent with justice when they are when they're free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're go. free markets, yeah. You know, when it's manipulated by the government, then uh, I think the the less justice we see and get. Exactly. All right. Question two. A lot of people believe that systematic racism is a problem and say that the cops are more willing to shoot if the perpetrator is black. What is your take on this issue? I can't remember the last time I saw the the stats on that as far as the cops are concerned. I think, you know, they do say uh, perception is reality. So I I think a lot of blacks do perceive the system as being racist uh, because of how it affects them. I I see it, you know, on an economic level because of how policies affect us economically that it is oppressive, you know. So I think you know they see they see the perceive the oppression and the economic uh they feel the economic impacts you know with you know in the in the ghettos and stuff so i think because of the history of our country and stuff and because of all the injustice that has been done that it's it's tough not to see it as something systemic or you know but i it's it's tough because I you know you have to define racism like you know I define it the way it was originally done you know it's where people see it as you just like the ge- genetic you know someone thinks they're superior to you because of sure. genetics you know that's the way I see it and it's hard to it's hard to to look at someone and know if that's what they believe or not you know so I know most people see it as uh, you know the word has taken on so many meanings now that it's hard to keep up or even agree on a consensus with the word. So that's that's a tough one to answer. It is. You know, it is tough. All right, man. Question three. If you can influence politics, what examples of cronyism in government would you try to eliminate? Oh, gosh, man. I would love to get rid of uh, the healthcare system. Gosh, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> where, do you, where do you start? You know, I uh, know. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, gosh, just strike them all down. Uh, you know, even with the, the ethanol and the gas, like the corn subsidies with the farmers, you know, with the, not farmers, like people think of farmers as some one lonely guy and, you know, with his field with corn, but I'm talking about like on a ma- major level. Sure. You know, in the, in the food industry, you know, the FDA and all that, but also, uh, the cronyism in the education system, you know. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, uh, that is like, you know, the amount of money they pour into education and not get any results is just mind boggling. It's criminal, you know. Uh, so, um, yeah, with that, military contracts and gosh. You name it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question four. Do you believe we have free will and does it matter? I think we, it, well, it does matter, but I think we have uh, a level of it. I think is diminishing it. I think it's diminishing the, the, the bigger uh, the government gets, the more power uh, the government gets. Uh, we, we have less of it, but I think we have a degree of it. Right on. Is that your final answer? Yeah. Okay. There you go. Final answer. Bam. What has been or still is the hardest concept for you to embrace about libertarianism? Well, uh, the hardest concept, I think for me, is like the the 
the farthest end of it, like the uh, anarcho-capitalism is is just letting go of government completely. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm all for making it as small as possible, but I, at this point, my because I'm so it's like in my DNA. I'm so used to having government that it does seem scary not to have it. But at the same time, I absolutely loathe government and what it does. Hell yeah, you know, hell yeah! Especially after reading Anatomy of the State, you know, I'm just like, oh my god, it's, Great book. it's just pure evil. You know, I'm like, it's just yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think that would be my biggest hurdle. Is I, I just need to I need to study that more so I could understand, have more confidence in it not being there. You know, great answer. Yeah, I do. Great answer. All right. Question six: Why is free trade a good thing for our economy? What would you tell workers displaced in certain industries? Free trade. Why is it good in our economy? Well, it it would be great if it were free uh i mean <laughs> right I, nothing's I mean, free brings, anymore yeah it brings you know it brings prices down and you know and gives us more choices and better quality of life when there's when there's free trade it, like this you know having the government telling us what we can and cannot buy is really goes completely against individual freedom or freedom at all uh, you know, so, and as far as like, uh, displaced workers, you know, the, the government doesn't make it easy for us to, to find other jobs, you know, with high taxes and stuff. People can't hire, you know, more, more employees or whatever. So sometimes if you want, if you're displaced in one, one sector, it's like, you know, some people could move over here and get a job doing this. That's totally different. I, I would, I would try just, you know, getting something that maybe you don't want right now, but that you could get just to make ends meet. Like if you have to work at McDonald's or, you know, UPS is always hiring, you know, <laughs> right. whatever, you know, just <laughs> make it, make it happen. I mean, there's some, there've been times where I'm, I'm in between tours and I'm like, man, I got to make more mortgage, you know? Right. So I, I'll pick up some extra guitar or drum students, you know, uh, just make it happen. You know, you, you got to make it happen, especially if you have a family. It's like, you, I got mouths, I got mouths to feed, you know, my wife and my kids depend on me. I look at it like this, pivot or die. There you go. Pivot or die. <laughs> Question seven. Is there a connection with music and liberty? Uh, there, I think there was more in the past. I think there can be when there are people who are really uh, not worrying about writing songs just to please other people when they're writing music from their heart because it's an expression of who they are and what they need to get out emotionally. You know, like I was talking about, you know, my boss speech who writes songs, you know, to deal with emotional, you know, uh, trauma or whatever. Um, he, you know, that's how he, he deals with it. So, yeah. So I think there can be when it's, when it's done in that sense. Right on. Question eight. Who do you think are the most overrated and underrated libertarian thinkers? <laughs> the most overrated? Yeah. Well, it used to be, I think, uh, Jason Stapleton. <laughs> <laughs> was o- overrated at, at one point. You know, he was pretty cool at one point, and then and then he just went off the deep end, I, from what I hear. But I'm I'm not sure. Uh, underrated. I mean, I would love to see. I mean, I would love to see Eric July and Tom Woods yes. uh, doing yeah. bigger bigger things on a on a much bigger platform, dude. You know, great answer. Both I, those guys. I love those guys. Question nine. When it comes to music creation, what are your criteria for quality? What are currently your main challenges and ambitions as a performer and writer? 
you know, I love the way the, the production, I, I love, love it. it has to be like just real warm and, and, and impactful the way it comes out of the speakers. Like I like to feel low end, you know, I like to feel music come out. But also I love music that is done by people who you could tell are very passionate about what they do, where it's like they're singing that song like it's the last song they're going to sing of their life, you know, like, you, you know, Chris Stapleton and, you know, or people that just tell amazing stories, but, you know, people that I've, I've the older I get, the more I appreciate lyrics, uh, where before it was all about the groove and the layers of the, the musical instrumentation, like Earth, Wind, and Fire and Santana had all these layers, these, these layers of instrumentation going on. That, that's what I got off on mostly. And I still pretty much do. That's more mostly in my DNA. So, you know, a lot of times it's the complexity of the music, but how it makes me feel. Um, you know, some people don't, don't, they don't get off on the same music that I do and vice versa. So that's kind of a, you know, a subject objective thing but uh and as far as barriers go to my creation i think um sometimes it could be time um you know since i homeschool you know sometimes when i when i'm feeling creative i'm like well i have to put this aside right now and teach my son you know his science class or geography you know so sometimes that you know being a dad you know the music could get in the way of of the, i mean uh parenting could get in the way of that because you never know when the inspiration hits you it just hits you whenever it does I, you can't turn it on or off so i think the I, I wish i could just turn it on right on man i agree i agree question 10 please recommend two artists or groups to our listeners which you feel deserve more attention i think uh blackberry smoke uh are you familiar with them no actually Oh, well, there you go. See, that's a problem. <laughs> Blackberry Smoke is one. They're basically like carrying on the tradition of the Almond Brothers and Leonard Skinner. So if you just want like good old Southern rock and roll or just rock and roll with a bluesy tinge and like they are crushing it, like great, great songwriting, great, you know, shows and they're good, good people. They're based out of Atlanta. Um, that's definitely one that, um, that I love. I mean, I'm in real into a lot of vintage stuff as well, but if you're into like songwriters and stuff, uh, Jason Isbell, Chris Stapleton, those, are you familiar with those guys? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know those yeah. cats. Yeah. They're good. Yeah, Jason, Jason Isbell, you, you know, if you're a libertarian, you, you'll be driven mad by his tweets. Cause he's, 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 pretty much a leftist so you you know i i, I yeah <laughs> you're a loser yeah but he <laughs> well that's true that's true but and i mean rocket I, oh sorry go ahead go ahead <laughs> rocket go ahead rocket that's rocket Woo! bar give it up for jj boogie that was great really good good job man anyways on Johnny rocket always launching ideas we're gonna take a quick commercial break we'll be right back rock and roll ground control to escape pod ground control to escape pod I'm not sure if you can hear me, but this is Better Days by Arrested Development. Better! I've seen better days, I've seen better days, I want to see them again. I'm tripping. Life is way too precious to be indifferent. I got troubles. Where my pot to piss in? Hey, who's in the intervention? Super Bowl Sunday, man, and I'm sleeping. Kicked out the Garden of Eden for bad eating. Bad habits. A victim of bad teaching. Need direction. I'm scared of the right beating. Whoa! 
To Jason JJ Boogie Reichert. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Yep, yep. You got it. Yeah, thank you. It's been a blast. Okay, no pun intended here. I'm blast off. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Boogie. Uh-huh. So, Jason, I really love all the family stuff that you share on Insta and, again, homeschooling. And I, I love my libertarian people who are trying to change culture in their regular lives. So, aside from homeschooling, um, your wife is called the hillbilly Asian. Is that because she's kind of into the homesteading thing and more natural things? Uh, Asian hillbilly. That's Asian it. hillbilly. Well, it. get it right, really. God. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know what? She's- Correct me when I'm wrong. Go for it. I'm kidding. Yeah, my my wife's mother is from uh, Bangkok, Thailand. Oh, and then her dad her dad's from Tennessee, and um, she uh, my wife's maiden name is Parton. She's actually a a distant cousin to Dolly Parton. Okay, so very cool, very cool. Yeah, and she's a she's a singer songwriter. So you know she has the Asian side from her mom so she loves like the crazy foods and the culture and all that but also growing up visiting her family in Tennessee they all talk like this you know they're all like you know oh, the that's hillbilly why she's people. hillbilly okay she, I was so, wondering what where where the reference is from okay cool. yeah so she's Asian from her mom but you know she loves her her hillbilly side too and she loves country music loves Dolly Parton she's you know and who doesn't 
Yeah, so it was funny because growing up, for her growing up, like the only two albums like her they had grown up was like a Dolly album and a Sade album, which is weird. There's so, nothing wrong like, with yeah. Sade. There's nothing wrong no, with Sade. No, and then, you know, she got into rock and roll a little bit later, like Chris Cornell. and Is she libertarian too? She's not... She's no. not political, but she's not political. But when we discuss certain laws and stuff, and she hears how they affect us, she will she will get pissed. So her <laughs> instinct, her instinct is is liberty. And then there's sometimes where she'll say something like, "Man, this should be a law for this." I'm like, "Oh, wait a minute, uh, uh-uh. uh," you know. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, yeah. But uh, but she does have some libertarian instincts that are great. But uh, it's it gets overwhelming, you know, for her, uh, and it is overwhelming for me as well because I'm, you know, I try to absorb as much as I can with, uh, you know, being proficient with knowing, you know, all the economic things. And, but, you know, I wish I could be more like Eric July, you know, but I, I just, you know, I do the best I can. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because my husband, uh, we've been together for almost 20 years and he didn't care that much politically either. I was the political one. I'm the one that was the libertarian and he didn't. And then out of nowhere, he meets Mark Kibler and he decides, oh, I'm an anarchist within wow. just a couple months. Interesting. He, yeah, I remember yeah. that story. Yeah. He just came right to it. So, you know, hold out hope. She might just be an anarcho-capitalist very soon. Yeah. It might well, happen. My, my son is loving the Tuttle Twins books. Oh, so yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, so great stuff. he's been reading that. Yeah, he's learning big words like entrepreneurship. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you the golden rule. Yeah. You gotta yeah. say when you say entrepreneur, you go entrepreneur. Yes. Entrepreneur. Yeah. Yes. Great <laughs> okay. Yes. So, so being a libertarian music, musician, right? You're we're it was tough for me because I just didn't really talk about it. And I think this is kind of important because if you tell people you're a libertarian and you're in the music industry, right? Because everyone's hardcore left. They're not even left. I mean, they're commies, right? They're it pinkos yeah. everywhere. I just kind of kept it quiet. I mean, it was assumed by some of my things, my conversations I've had offline, but do you keep quiet about it or, or are you pretty, you know, verbal about your opinions? I used to be a lot more verbal and combative, uh, you know, on the tour buses and stuff. We would have long debates and, and then I would just get emotional and everybody else would get emotional, you know. So at this point now, I will chime in a little bit, and and then uh, when it's me against you know four or five other people, sometimes I'm just like I can't, I can't, you know, because then the conversation goes off on tangents. What about this and that? And I'm like, well, man, I can't answer everything rapid fire like I can here with you, you know. But <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. So you know, and then sometimes, plus, I think at this point, I know where everybody stands, and there's no. You know, if it's if it's a position where I know I can maybe there's a open door, uh, you know, I could I could I will talk, you know, or mm-hmm. or we've had conversations and then a group member in private, a different group member would be like, yeah, you know what, I was with you on that, I agree with you on that, you know, and they'll tell me privately, so I'm yeah, like, okay, that's, that's cool. So yeah, so it gives me hope to like maybe I should you know keep you know just keep. Keep keep it going and and talk as much as I can and share those uh, you know the ideas of liberty. So um, I mean you know granted it's like you know you'd be with since I toured with an all black band that they would all want liberty. <laughs> they would all understand right. what liberty means. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think you know like you know they are. I was like just so inundated with government that it's hard to understand not having help from them even though yeah you know it's hard to get that out of our our minds and our psyche it's it's just always there so 
but in due time. Okay, so I know that you mentioned on the Lions interview, which was fantastic and great job, Mark, about how after 9-11, it kind of made you pay attention. And then I wondered, oh, I wonder if he's a truther. And then I, so I, th- my question is, do you believe that some conspiracy theories are true? Are you a person who keeps up to, up to date on that? And does it pique your interest? Just curious. It does. Uh, I didn't go gung-ho with all the truther stuff with 9-11, but I think there's definitely questions. I mean, I'm open to you know, I'm open to evidence, but I'm not, I don't shut it, I don't shut it down or shut it out. You know, a couple of years ago at our, we had a show in New York and there was truthers that are in, our, in the audience getting people to sign some kind of petition about, you know, <laughs> finding out. And I was just yeah. like, I'm, I'm not going to sign it. I don't, you know, I don't really know who you, Smart man. I don't know who you are. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't know who you are. But what list am I being put on? Yeah. That, that's yeah. the real truther right there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what, what government list am I going to be put on? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. but I, you know, conspiracy theories. Yeah. I used to, uh, balk at them, but now I'm like, no, there's, uh, there's truth to a lot of stuff. You know, that, you know, it it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out, you know. Yeah, once you distrust the state, then you understand that anything they say could be a lie. Yeah, I'm just, right. Well, I'm not, I'm not a flat earther though, so. Me either. Okay. Won't go there. (laughs) Okay, so I just want to let everyone know we do not support, well, we're going to probably do a conspiracy theory show here, but for the majority, I'd say that I'd try to lean away from it just because we already have enough kooky libertarians uh, in our movement. Yeah, I'm fascinated by them. You know, we I'm don't fascinated, need to add but I'm not, I don't more. buy them all. Yeah. We don't need to yeah. add more, yeah. Riley. No. Mm-mm. Right. <laughs> okay, so, you know what? I, dude, seriously, this has been just a blast, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, brother. Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Mr. JJ Boogie, give us your dot coms. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's JJ Boogie on Instagram. You know, uh, and same on Twitter, and you can follow Arrested, Devu- uh, Arrested Development Music dot com, and also my the band that I have with my wife, Fire and the Knife. Nice, nice. Thank you so much for being here, and dude, it was great. And uh, thank you so much. It was awesome, dude. It was great. To, I mean, I just it's so great to have another musician that I could talk to. It's just like I I, I miss that. <laughs> I miss that. Yeah, amen. <laughs> miss it, man. Anyways, though, guys. We got to stick together. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. What can people do if they want to hear more? Oh, if you like the show, make sure to go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe. And give us a dollar an episode to hear the after party, and only two bucks a show to hear the all-nighter, too. Awesome. Anyways, though, Johnny Rocket, launching ideas. See you next week. Rock and roll.